Hi, my name is Justin Keen, and I'm the owner and head coach at Woodshed Strength and Conditioning in Littleton, Massachusetts. I'd like to welcome you to the Woodshed Strong podcast. At Woodshed, we believe that getting stronger is one of the most important things that you can do. And in this podcast, we'll share knowledge and encouragement to help you live a stronger, healthier, happier life. Welcome. We're glad to have you. All right. What a nice day to talk with my friend, Coach Sarah Fleming, the author of this new book I have in my fat little hands, Fitness Without Fear. Um, Sarah, welcome. Welcome to talking online again. and Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. you. (laughs) How are you doing today, my friend? I am doing good. Uh, Had a good morning. It's a beautiful day and uh looking forward to a nice evening very nice sarah just for folks who the the uninitiated who don't know you um where do you where do you coach out of and where do you make your make your business out of um so i'm in raleigh north carolina and um i've coached in a bunch of different gyms and settings over the years but um most of the weight rooms things I do is actually in my basement, which, uh, <laughs> at one point I think I had three squat racks down there. Um, but I've also had the pleasure of being able to coach, um, several different youth sports, um, including track and field, cross country lacrosse. Um, I don't really know much about lacrosse, but I can get kids doing drills, um, and learning. Um, and lately I've decided to sort of stop coaching my kids teams and, and, uh, enjoy just watching them compete and play. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun. And, and I've learned actually quite a bit watching their coaches. Um, so that's cool. Um, it is interesting to, for the coach to watch other coaches. I feel like there's always something you can pick up if you're looking closely enough with, with an open mind, as you, as you said earlier in our, our pre-convo, um, so Sarah, Fitness Without Fear is amazing. It's a fantastic. Uh, I mean, the, the subtitle says it all, Practical Guide to Improving Your Life Through Good Movement. Um, I think you hit it out of the park. And I wanted to talk with you about that. I want to ask you to sort of start us off by telling us why you wrote this book. What? Well, it was, I'll, I'll say this. I spent um, over a decade as a medical researcher. I actually have a master's degree in biochemistry. Um, I always had a hard time myself as an athlete. I wasn't very coordinated. I never got picked for (laughs) any of the teams. And uh, as a scientist, I, I sort of realized at some point that fitness and, you know, athletic skill could be learned. Mm -hmm. I just had to find the information I needed to teach myself. So over the years, um, I finally made the decision that, you know, when I had kids and couldn't work in the lab anymore, uh, maybe I could get into physical training. Uh, Maybe I could actually help some people out. And, um, and I, what I found was that there are a lot of people out there who don't really know what to do and are kind of intimidated by the gym. And uh, a lot of 
actually the people I, I very first started working with were cancer patients at my local YMCA, which was strange because I had been doing cancer research and nobody knew that, <laughs> but I'd have these women ask me if they could work out with me because they saw me, you know, in their training and thought I looked like I knew what I was doing. And mm -hmm. all of them told me that they were just too intimidated to join the classes or work with the trainers because all they ever saw were people suffering and they were already suffering enough. They didn't need to suffer anymore. So I was surprised by that, but I, I agreed. And, and then I, that sort of inspired me eventually to decide to get certified as a trainer. And, you know, I remember at the time, one of my friends who I think had good intentions, but she said, why would anybody want to train with you? You've never been on stage. You've never won a medal. And she was talking about, you know, figure competitions. And uh, that confused me because I was like, well, I don't see training as bodybuilding. I see training as teaching people how to use their bodies better. And that's how I've always seen it. And, you know, throughout my practice, um, I've dealt with, you know, some very talented people. I've also encountered a lot of normal people, just average folks. I've taught them to be competitive. I've taught them to just live a better life. And it, it's always come down to teaching. And I think the ones that inspire me the most are, I, I usually would get one or two a year. There'd be someone who would come to my gym door terrified and they'd be like, you know, I, I tried to go to the gym and and learn how to do this stuff myself. I've been hurt. Um, I've been told wrong things. I don't know what to do, but I know I need to get healthy. And the very first thing I have to, to convince these people of is that I'm not going to hurt them, you know, and like, I'm here to teach you. I'm here to take care of you. I want you to get better. Um, well, it's kind of a jumping off point. Cause I think that that's um, in a lot of ways, your book is really, the first few sessions with a client, right? You know, so yeah. um, what are those, what does that first session look like without revealing any trade secrets or, <laughs> or like, well, don't tell us about all the special, you gotta keep some of it to yourself. But I'm going to, I'm going to start that off with a tiny little anecdote. And if I go off the rails, kick me back I'll in. Back in. <laughs> yeah. um, I used to train horses and when you're training horses, all you have is your observation because they can't talk to you. You can't ask them questions. You have to get very good at understanding what, what good pain-free movement looks like. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a skill I developed early on. Um, and I'll tell you, I when I see my clients out in public sometimes, even if they're not facing me, I can tell who they are based on how they move. Oh, sure. So that's how tuned in I am to body movement. Um, I don't think that this is like a innate talent I have. It's just a skill I developed. Mm -hmm. But when a person comes into my gym, I'm watching them walk across the room. And that's telling me a lot. I'm watching how they stand. I'm watching how they sit. I'm watching how they interact with me. You know, are they symmetrical? Are they um, hunched over? Are they taking shorter strides than they should? Is there anything odd about their, their movement or their posture? And so I'm already looking at those things as they're talking to me and telling me things. 
And then I just sit down with them and let them talk. I ask them, you know, do you have any pain? Is there anything that you, you know, feel limited by? Uh, you know, how's your diet? How's your sleep? How's your general stress level? Uh, I'll say I, I had this woman come in one time, this gorgeous, put together, happy, cheerful person um, by appearance. She has um, two children, one of whom has epilepsy, the other one who was born with a chromosomal aberration that means she requires 24-hour care. And this, you'd never know it by talking to this woman that how much stress she has in her everyday life, just trying to take care of her children. Um, so I think it's really important to ask those questions. Sure. So this book is kind of like, if we can't come down to you, how are we going to get this done on our own? And that's what I loved about it. It's very, uh, it's very actionable. There's a very clear, or there's, you give us, um the knowledge base sort of underpin your recommendations and and your process and then you give us the tools to start doing this on our own which is fantastic um what would you say two or three things that someone who's listening to this podcast um who is in pain or who is tired and stressed and who wants to feel better what are two or three immediate things that they could do to start down to start down that road on their own? Uh, honestly, the very first thing I I instruct people on is I have them stand up and I want them to be aware of their posture. I make them stand in front of the mirror and look. Um, and I will often with my hands correct it if I need to like push their upper back in and pull their chin back. Mm -hmm. And when I've got it to where it should be, oftentimes they look terribly uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of forward head posture with folks, you know, just because we tend to sit in front of computers and um, mm -hmm. drive and sit and stare at our phones. And uh, so I had this one gal come in, she was 13 and gone through a tremendous growth spurt. Her ear was about four inches in front of her shoulder. So that's how far forward her head would lean. Mm -hmm. And when I pushed everything back and uh, got her into a good position, she was like, that hurts. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know. And, and it's going to, and we're not gonna correct this today, but this is where I want you to practice. So every day you gotta remind yourself, you know, where are my shoulders back? Is my head straight? You know, is my, is my spine straight? Because another big fault I see with um, women in particular is they let that lower back kind of get excessive curvature, um, sway back or lordosis as we call it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so if they're standing up, pull that belly button into your spine, tuck your hips forward. And so just be extremely cognizant all the time of your posture. And we're going to forget and we're going to fatigue throughout the day, but that's the one thing you can constantly go back to and the truth is it's incredibly important because when you have good posture, your muscles are activated and activated muscles, as I outline in the book, is probably the primary way that we can prevent disease. And I know that sounds extreme and crazy, but, um, you know, when we think about how passive we tend to be because we sit and we just sit in chairs and, and slouch, none of that muscle is activated. Activated muscle is what prevents 
insulin insensitivity and cardiovascular disease and and all kinds of things. Um, so Sarah, can you can you unpack that word activated a little bit? I think as a um, we hear as as if we pay attention to fitness marketing, we hear the we hear sort of buzzwords like turn you know turn on your posterior chain or fire your glutes or or things like that and it's i think it's very easy for us for that to just kind of go over our head um and i think it's incredibly important what you're beginning to talk about so tell me unpack that for me what is what does activated mean so you know picture right now like well right now i'm sitting on the couch and i'm kind of leaned back yeah. um but i my core is activated. Like I'm, I'm not completely slouched down like a sack of potatoes. Um, I'm making an effort to pull my shoulders back and I, my head is upright and my, my core is activated. I can, I am aware of these parts of my body awesome. and a lot of people don't have that awareness. So I will actually tell people, take your hands, put them on your belly and then tighten the muscles underneath. And, uh, you know, you can feel that happen and you don't necessarily have to walk around with it that tight but you know you should be aware of what your muscles are doing okay. um, when we're standing a lot of people have a tendency to slouch and the very easy way to feel that is just you know when you stand up straight pull your spine up towards the ceiling get your head back um, you're going to feel taller some people feel insecure in that position because they feel like they look like a a pageant contestant, you know, waving at the crowd, but that's actually how we want to feel. Um, sure. And to go back to the science behind it, when you put people on bed rest, regardless of weight, they are going to develop the metabolic syndrome diseases from just lying passively in bed. The way that they cure that is simply getting them out of bed and getting them walking. And an interesting other way that they do it is they get them up out of bed and have them stand on a vibration plate. Mm -hmm. Now picture standing on a vibration plate. If you are not activated, you're gonna shake like a bowl of jelly, right? You're gonna have to, in order to counter that, you sort of have to brace a little bit. You have to kind of be sturdy. Um, if you wanna think about it this way, every mother will understand this. Like if you're standing in a room full of toddlers who are running around at full speed, you're always going to be slightly activated <laughs> to sure. anticipate, you know, getting your legs knocked out from under so you. That's, thank you. That's, that, that's what I was looking for. So, so like you're conscious of your muscles being ready to go and mm -hmm. they're, they're there and they're, you know, sometimes they're tensed or they're pulled back or they're flexed or, as it happens, um, ready as it as it may happen, ready to withstand a attack by toddlers. Like stand on that. <laughs> that's like a that's like a walking vibration plate. A room full of toddlers. You better be mm -hmm. on your, you better be on your A game. Um, something that struck me as as you were talking about posture and standing tall. Um, something that we see in you know I see in my own. Um, training and, and my practice is uh, the ways in which a corner a kind of a shoulders forward and a slouched posture can almost be become a protective gesture you know um yes talk to me about talk to me about that because that's not insignificant i think talk to me about the the psychology 
um, of getting someone to stand tall and take a and getting someone to look in the mirror and be aware of what they're doing. Yeah, it it's surprising, but um, especially for you'll see this a lot in teenage girls because when they start to develop breasts, they don't want anybody to see them. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a protective gesture, and it I think it makes people feel vulnerable. Um, I was pretty small until about till high school. And then I grew like seven inches and being taller than most of the girls, I felt kind of vulnerable and I would like you're exposed. Yeah. Like I was taller. Yeah. yeah. And if you think about it, you know, when we go to hug somebody, what do we do? We reach forward and kind of bend towards them. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's like a, a protective gesture. Um, I literally take people and put them in front of the mirror and give them the cues, you know, shoulders back, chest up, you know, pull your belly button into your spine, tuck your hips forward, take a deep breath. And then I want you to feel strong. And that's sort of a turning point because what we're doing is we're turning vulnerability into strength. And I'm not talking about their body. I'm not talking about you know, oh, don't you look beautiful or don't you look this? Right. Which... It's not soft. Or you're, not, you're not, you're not no. shining there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it. it's strength and it's power. Yeah. And I think to train people effectively, you need to convince them that they are strong and powerful and that they need to express that. Yeah. I love it. One of the things that just jumped out at me as you're going through those cues or those those instructions is you could have you just now could have been instructing someone on how to deadlift yeah right? chest up shoulders back yes tense, pull your belly button your spine um how does how do you see in your practice and how do you see in your um your book practice which we'll we'll call it your your among your readers how do you see folks making the transition from that that first phase of kind of being more aware of their posture and their body into actual movement. How do you, um, how do you, how do you bridge that in person and how do you envision people doing that on their own? What's the next step after that? I guess I would ask. The next step is moving. Well, the next step is moving, you know, um, and that's the thing that a lot of us don't do. Uh, we, like, in fact, when I was writing the book, I had to, um, make an effort to get up out of my chair, put my computer down, get up out of my chair, walk around the house. Mm. And the fact that a lot of people just don't, don't understand again, baby steps, just getting up out of your chair every hour and being aware of your good posture is going to have a positive effect on your health and your strength. Things like that. We don't even think about such as, you know, during the pandemic, everybody was ordering takeout. Well, guess what you miss out on from cooking dinner at home? When you're cooking dinner at home, you're standing in the kitchen and you're moving around. When you order takeout, you go to the door and get your food and go back and sit down. There's, you know, a lot of value in things like just doing housework, working in the yard, gardening, weeding. I try to, let me put it this way. I have a friend who's actually writing a book on uh, on business post-pandemic, and he's brilliant. 
Um, he's a doctor who became a business consultant. And one of the concepts that he sort of drove into my brain when we were discussing our book concepts was this concept of value. And we're talking about value as a verb, not as a noun. Right. And we need to value the little things. When we don't value them, we don't do them and we don't care about them. When we only value, you know, hard, heavy, fatiguing exercise at the gym as something that's going to contribute to our health and our, our muscle tone and our, you know, bodies in general, then we have two choices, either go do that stuff, which a lot of people find distasteful or do nothing. But when we value, Hey, I'm going to just get up and walk down the driveway and see if the mail's here yet. I'm going to take my dog for a walk. I'm going to just walk around the backyard and see what, you know, if the grass needs to be mowed. Mm -hmm. But there's a huge value in, in all of that movement. Even if you don't even have to have an excuse to do it, just get up out of your chair, go check on something, come back and sit down. So you kind of <clears throat> anticipated quite nicely my next, or where I was going to go. My next question is how is <laughs> what we're talking about are, are very, very incredibly powerful things, but they're very small changes to the, to, from a 20 foot vantage. And they're not changes that our culture typically even acknowledges. We don't talk about, and especially in fitness culture, it is, everything is egregious. We don't talk about habits and, um, small changes is nearly as much as we talk about that 5 million rep workout and that's, you know, <laughs> yeah. and so how do you, how do you teach your people and how do you, how do you yourself practice valuing those incremental changes that will, will result in huge changes down the road? Well, when I'm coaching people in the gym, I'm constantly applying what we're doing to their everyday life. Mm -hmm. And I'm also constantly telling them that like, you're here with me, maybe five hours a week. There's a whole lot more hours that actually matter. Mm -hmm. um, so we talk about, you know, and we're learning how to deadlift. Like when you go to Home Depot, this is how you're going to be picking up that mulch and putting it in the back of your car. Yeah. When I'm teaching them to squat, it's like when you're getting something out of a low drawer, this is how you're going to do it now. When you're, you know, when I'm teaching them to press overhead, I'm reminding them that, you know, this is not just for strength, but to maintain your range of motion of your shoulder, because you're always going to need to reach over your head and get something out of a high cabinet. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and I think that's important. I think they need to understand again, not just the value, but um, how this stuff fits into our everyday lifestyle, because we want to change our movement patterns to be correct, no matter what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So if you have somebody who can deadlift 600 pounds, but they go home and they're like folding in half to pick up a sock off the floor, you know, that's how we hurt ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got to look at these movements that we learn in the gym are they're functional and they're correct. And when we reinforce them in everything that we do at home, we're, what we're doing is building a more efficient machine. We're not, you know, it makes absolutely no sense to go do strength work. And then the rest of the time, you know, however many hundreds of hours that is, move in a completely different fashion. Mm -hmm. 
let's get back to one of the words in the title of your book, fear. Um, fear and suffering uh, are two, two, to me, kind of intertwined concepts. Um, talk to me first about what, what, what sorts of fears you're dealing with um, as you start as as you start an exercise program with somebody or as you start a journey with somebody um and and how do you meet those fears and how do you how do you effectively stand with with your client or with your reader and push them forward there's <clears throat> there's a lot of different fears actually there's um commonly um, when I have people who come to the gym who are afraid, it's because they've been hurt before and they're afraid they're going to get hurt again. Mm -hmm. There's people who, for them, the feeling of getting their heart rate up is scary. Mm -hmm. It feels like a medical emergency. Some of these people have had heart attacks or issues with blood pressure. Um, you know, getting out of breath feels like you're drowning. Um, you can see if, it on there. You can yeah. see that look on the faces, right? Absolutely. And I had a gal come, I guess it was like two summers ago, and she had had several cardiac and blood pressure issues. She, she, she poor thing had just been through a lot. And she was terrified of me pushing that heart rate. At the end of the summer, I finally got her pushing the prowler up and down my driveway. And if anybody knows what a prowler is, it's a, a weighted sled and it takes your breath away. But she had finally gotten to where she trusted herself, trusted her own body to be able to get to that level of exertion. And she wasn't afraid that it was going to turn into something else. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to jump in here because I feel like you're underselling that triumph. Like you, when you push the prowler, especially if you were pushing on a driveway, and I'm sure it was hot. Like you are, you legit feel like you are not going to be able to catch your breath when you're done. When you're yeah. pushing it, you're just, it's the exertion, you know, you just got to keep it moving. But that's huge. I can't, how did you reinforce what a triumph that was with her? I took a picture of it and sent it to her husband. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and that's he was so excited. I, yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard to do if you have if you have not pushed aside, it's hard. It's I don't know, it's almost like shoveling, you know, shoveling five driveways in 30 minutes, you know. It's oh yeah. Like. It's it's awful. And I think the thing that always is terrifying is you're right, it's the 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 breath deficit <laughs> continues to increase even when you're done. And um and actually the the first time I took her out, I, I put a chair there and I'm like, we're gonna push this and then you're gonna sit down. And, uh, and you're, we're not going to push it again until you're, you're completely catch your breath. And then we're going to do it again. And if after that, you want to stop, we'll stop. <clears throat> she ended up pushing it five times that day. Um, and she was proud of herself, but we had, we had kind of, I think the first day that she came to the gym, all I did was teach her how to squat and do some ring rows and, um, some pushups off of a, a raised bar and as soon as we were done, it probably took all of 20 minutes. I was like, okay, you're done. Go home. She was like, what? <laughs> and well, I was I mean, like, look, we learned something, right? Yeah, for sure. Let me get on that. Cause I think that's, that's another thing as coaches that, you know, you and I've talked about this offline a number of times, but the perception that 
every workout has to be sort of the be all and end. Like you have to get your heart rate up to a certain amount. You have to do even a certain amount. A workout needs to be a certain amount of time. Um, talk to me about how with your clients, you, you sort of shift the focus from that more towards, you know, accomplishment and, and skill acquisition and the things that you work on with your clients? Well, I'll, I'll say this. I, I think observation and assessment is so important. And that's why, you know, chapter three of the book is, is basically trying to show people how they can like turn their eye inward and really pay attention to what's going on. And a lot of times my clients would, I know they're not paying attention. I know they're not seeing their progress. So I'm constantly trying to find things to point out to them. For example, I had this one gal who, again, she was pretty overweight and very out of shape when I first started working with her. And she could only do push-ups from her knees. And so, you know, the very first workout she did, I think she could only do like four or five and that was it. And she had brought her son to come in and, and do a workout with her one day. And so I had them do the same workout. I just scaled it for each of them. And that day she did 15 push-ups from her knees. And I was like, you know, do you, do you remember when you first came in here and you could barely do four and she, her jaw dropped. And so in the next round, I said, try and do a full one. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I can't do a full one. I'm like, you can do 15 from your knees. Of course you can do a full one. And sure yeah. enough, she knocked out three. Amazing. And she was so excited. <laughs> so I think, you know, having a good understanding of how to scale exercises also allows you to, to know when you can do something like that, when you can, you know, challenge them in a way that, you know, they're going to be successful. So it's a combination of observation, but also having an understanding of what are the requirements to move to the next level and then taking them to the next level. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about, you, you mentioned earlier, um, folks whose, whose fear is a workout, uh, or being too much for them. Um, and that, that, that sort of, that perception is keeping them out of the gym or out of, away from working with a personal trainer or away from just, working out. Um, how do you, how do you help folks get over that particular fear? I, I think it's really important that you be compassionate and empathetic and let people know up front that I'm not here to hurt you or make you uncomfortable because I've been in that situation myself. I actually used to be a CrossFit coach. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, when you're, you know, that was back in 2010, I guess, mm -hmm. um, as the coaches, you're kind of expected to push the limit a little bit. And I, I got to where I was extremely anxious before workouts because I knew it was, it was not going to be fun. Yeah. Like I was going to be pushing myself to the limit of where I couldn't breathe. And, and I didn't want to disappoint anybody. So it's like yeah. caught between, you know, fear of disappointment, fear of uh, literally dying. <laughs> Cause that's yeah. kind of how I felt sometimes. Um, and so like, what, what did I want in that situation? I wanted to know that if, if I literally went too hard, that someone would be watching me and say, Hey, slow down, 
Mm -hmm. Or um, let's take some weight off that bar. You're doing great, but let's make sure that you finish this workout safely uh, and in a way that's going to make you feel good when you're done. And so I try to be that person now. I, you know, I, I set the, I set the expectations. I, and if they're, if they're suffering a little bit, I'm, Hey, take a minute, take a breather, you know, and then you'll be able to do more. Cause a lot of times when you tell someone to stop, they feel like you're taking something away from them. Sure. So if you phrase it as actually, I, if you just take, take, catch your breath for a minute, you're going to be able to do more. And that's what I want for you. So let's break now and then do more. And that's actually uh, an approach that works really well. I actually used to train a, a bunch of cops and this one guy on the SWAT team who was like always wanted to go balls out. Mm -hmm. And uh, he really liked that approach because it did actually allow him to get more reps and, you know, get through the workout without hurting himself. And so he, we do a lot of, we, uh, <coughs> things that, it's a it's a fine line you sort of like as coaches we know those 10 or 20 seconds of rest means you're gonna you're gonna be able to keep that 10 pounds on the bar that you want to stay you know yeah um, but it's hard there's people don't want to rest sometimes you know and it's I think you have to I think especially in a, in a it's nicer in a smaller setting where you're able to really individually kind of get in someone's face not in not in a confrontational way and like hey i'm right here with you um i want you to succeed i want you to do more reps and here's the best way to do it and yeah and i i will tell you this i i have run into situations with individuals who don't want to rest don't want to take weight off the bar and it's a combination of you know sometimes i've really had to have give them a talking to about it but then ultimately what always happens is they're like why is she getting stronger than me mm -hmm. and i'm like um because the only person in your way is you <laughs> and you aren't listening she's doing what she's told she's resting she's taking weight off the bar when she needs to and you can see the results of that is that she's stronger and she's not injured mm -hmm. um i've had a couple of clients like that and and it just took time for them to recognize that yeah i do know what i'm talking about <laughs> and yeah. you know if you want to keep going balls to the wall every workout you're not going to make progress as quickly yeah it's hard it's, it can be hard i'm sure you've experienced there's a lot of pushback against you know i think as crossfit was really on its ascendancy it was intensity over everything um mm -hmm. and you could you you could find any number of articles to support whatever position you wanted to, to support. You know, <laughs> that tells you only that famous uh, intensity equals result power times result, whatever. I, I can't remember what they what the what the equation was. Yeah. But there's always somebody who's willing to tell you you're not trying hard enough, mm -hmm. which I think is. I think that you have a really unique approach in, in handling that because uh, you're essentially telling people, I want you to actually rest so that you can try even harder yeah, and, and better mm -hmm. uh, the way it's supposed to be done, which I love, of course, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, 
so I want to kind of get back into uh, the book itself. I mean, talk to me a little bit about who really needs to read this book. All trainers should read this book. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Um, and that's the first first group. Okay. Um, I think trainers need to know how to create an on-ramp for folks. I actually think this would be a great um, book for um, folks to work with a trainer through because it's got all the, the science and the, the basis and the behaviors. And so it, it can kind of become more of a, a partnership um, with the client educating themselves on here's what I need to do to kind of move along. Can you help me? And I actually have one of my um, pre-sale uh, folks. He's a, a local trainer here. And he, he actually told me, he's like, I'm buying these books for all my clients because it's, it's just great because it, it tells them what to do when they're not with me. And then when I have them do these things, they understand that it's not, I'm not just pulling it out of my ass. Like it's actually coming from someone who knows what they're talking about. Um, a lot of his clients are older um, and not in very good shape. And I, I just thought that was really neat that he, uh, he saw, he saw that as a way to use this book. I think that's incredible because one of the things I can say personally, I struggle with the most as a a coach and a business owners like I don't want our help to end at the door mm -hmm. when we leave you know um but it's it can be very difficult to feel like you're you're helping someone outside of the gym um without without structure so I, I think the idea of this book providing you know, some homework and mm -hmm. a basis for those assignments is a, is a really neat idea. So uh, kudos to him for taking that jump. That's awesome. Yeah. And I honestly think, you know, I think about ways to reach people with the message because it's important to me. It's very important. And I, I almost feel like it, it could only be, it could almost be used as like a, a fitness book club, you know, let's go over one chapter a week and talk about what it, what are we going to get out of this and how are we going to change our lives based on this thing? um based on what's being discussed here and what do we already know about ourselves and what did we learn um i think you know obviously anyone who is like i really need to go to the gym i really really need to go to the gym but i don't want to go to the gym should read this book <laughs> because yeah. because it's going to give them i think the confidence to start at home and right. just and start let's be, let's be clear about it so for those that are listening and have not read the book, this is not, you do not need a ton of equipment to do what you're, what you're walking us through in your book. No. And you don't need, you don't need to go to the gym. You can right. do all this at home. And, you know, my, my cousin gave me a really great compliment. He's sort of a weekend warrior. Um, I mean, he likes to work out, but he likes to play ultimate Frisbee and he likes to run with his daughter. And, you know, the, the fear factor for him was, I'm afraid I'm not doing enough. Yeah. That's a and then one. when he read the book, he's like, oh, I'm doing plenty. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, yeah, your health is great. You're, you're able to do the things that you want to do. I mean, obviously as we age, we need to pay special attention to certain areas, <laughs> you know, but yeah. um, so I think it's, it's not just people who are afraid to go to the gym, but people who are afraid that they're, they're just not doing enough to accomplish their goals. And, 
you know, you know me, I've been competing in strength sports for the past decade. And I always tell my clients, like, what I do is not healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to expect that I will get injured doing what I do. And I don't recommend you do it unless you really want to. And if you really want to, I can teach you how to do it safely. But for just general health and body composition and feeling good and looking good, you do not have to, you, you can take it down several notches and still have good results. Such an, such an important message. And I think that it's hard. It's, it has to be hard as a, as someone who's, competed in strength sports to push that push that limit for yourself while also really wanting to to pull people into a more sustainable approach for for everyday life but um what are you going to do now <laughs> what are you doing now fitness wise because i know you've done you, one of the things i love about you is you've done so many you've walked the walk you've done so many different things so what's up now um, well, serendipitously COVID happened and, uh, I was able to end my addiction to throwing and lifting heavy things. Um, and I just say that cause I'm almost 50 years old and my knees are, you know, starting to grumble at me quite a bit. And, and I've just had this desire one to get back to riding horses, which was my first love, but not to the degree I was doing it, you know, when I was younger and getting thrown off every other day. <laughs> so, um, one of my first weightlifters I trained, she is a competitive mounted shooter. So she gallops horses around an arena with a gun and <laughs> shoots balloons. It's pretty cool. Uh, she has an old mare that's in retirement now. And so she and I like to go out in the woods and, uh, enjoy the scenery uh, once or twice a week. Mm. And I walk my dog a lot because my dog is completely neurotic and needs about three to six miles of walking every day. And I get you to talk to my kids about, <laughs> <laughs> about dog walking. <laughs> yeah, kids, kids aren't very good at that. No. Um, but I've also been spending a lot of time stretching, which I haven't. I used to do it with my cross country team because here's one thing about kids. They will not stretch unless you make them stretch. So sure. at the end of our workouts, we'd always have a lot of fun. Um, I would just lead them through this long stretching routine and ask them silly questions. And uh, then we just wait till their parents picked them up. So I've just been doing that by myself. Like I get up in the morning and I turn the TV on and I have one of those yoga straps and I just work on stretching out my legs and my hips and everything. And then I have this weird obsession with trying to learn how to surf. Um, I've, seen, I've seen you post about that. <laughs> I'm terrible at it. Uh, I'm really terrible at it, but it's, I have this fear of the ocean, um, that, uh, I've had for a very long time. <laughs> this weird story behind that, but, um, I like paddle boarding and I'm really bad at that too. But what it, what it, the reason I'm bad at both of those things is because it's exposing a huge weakness I have, which is balance. And, uh, sort of like a, an athletic ability to get up and down off the ground quickly. And that may not sound like much, but I suspect that when I am able to do, do those things, well, I'm going to be a lot stronger and I'm going to be a lot more coordinated sure. and maybe my knees will stop hurting, but we'll see. Yeah. I can't, I, I 
I'm excited to continue to follow your your surfing journey. I, I like somewhere deep down underneath all this gristle, there's like a moon doggy in my in my mind. Like I want to retire to San Diego and watch the sunrise every day. Um, so keep it up I, I, and keep documenting it. Um, I want to close with uh, three questions, three quick ones. Um, but before I do that, I want to thank you for your time. I want to encourage everybody who is listening to get a copy of your book, Fitness Without Fear, um, available on Amazon and, and also Kindle. If I'm, if I'm yeah, um, and, and Barnes, it's also at Barnes and Noble, um, Kobo. But yeah, it's it's both an ebook and a paperback. Or what about the Audible version? Uh, we don't have one yet. All right, get to it. You, got a, <laughs> you have a nice speaking voice, so I think you should be the narrator. Okay. Um, get on that. So um, three things. When you were lifting, what was your favorite lift and why? Oh, it was deadlifting mm -hmm. always just because um, I just really liked picking up super heavy weights. Squats kind of scared me when I would get heavy weight on my back. I was, I have a long torso. So I always felt like I was going to get trapped under the bar. Bench was, you know, uh, eh, it was okay. I'm just not terribly good at it. Uh, snatching and cleaning. I always had a lot of fun with, but there's just nothing quite as satisfying as bending over and just picking up a ton of weight, you know, and, uh, being able to stand with that in your hands and put it down. I always feel like I want to, you know, do one of those gymnast uh, poses that they yeah, do yeah. at the end of their, <laughs> end of their that, tumbling. Have you seen that new commercial with uh, Michaela Maroney where she jumps on the roof? Yes. Funny. <laughs> That's a good, she really nailed the pose and the, and the facial expression. Exactly. Um, what's your favorite thing to do uh, with a workup sweat? Favorite fast activity? kettlebell swings they're easy if i want a good quick full body workout that's that's what i'm going to do uh and my favorite way to do it is um look at the clock look at the second hand do like 10 15 swings every minute and you know i'll try and do that for like 10 minutes that's a fantastic you're done workout and yeah. you can feel good about that i love i love swings on on an imam or on a timer Sometimes I'll do like, I'll, I'll pair that with uh, a minute on an air dime where I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm actually just moving my legs, not particularly pushing the pace, but I'm just changing it, changing the movement. Yeah. Always feel, I feel like a million bucks when I'm done. Yeah. There's something. Yeah. Um, what is the thing? This is a tough one. What's the one the thing, you know, without fail when you do it, you're going to be very happy when it's done. What makes you what, like one, like your happy thing or your happiest? Thing? Does this have to be exercise or is oh, this oh, God, everything? No. Oh, everything. Good question. Um, and it's a good question because I get anxious about doing things, even if they're things that I love doing. Uh, right now it's getting up and taking my dog for a walk in the woods. I always feel fantastic when I can get out in nature, not just around the neighborhood. Like I'll, I'll drive over to the local park. Um, I, I enjoy getting on the horse and riding through the woods. I just love being in the woods. It always makes me feel centered. 
and gives me perspective. Did you come, did you visit Walden when you were up here? <laughs> no, I didn't. To come. All right. Well, we definitely have to have you back up because okay. we're like legit 10 minutes away from Walden. No kidding. Yeah. Oh. Um, there's probably, there's probably Dunkin' Donuts or two on the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you order for me. <laughs> yeah, that's probably best. Uh, all right, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Again, uh, Fitness Without Fear by Sarah Fleming, available on Amazon. Just a great book. You are just uh, an amazing person, teacher and coach, and um, very glad to know you. And it was really wonderful to talk to you. Thank you, Justin. It's always a pleasure. You're most welcome. Have a great day. <laughs> you too. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Woodshed Strong Podcast. At Woodshed Strength and Conditioning, we provide small group and individual training in a community atmosphere. We're an old-fashioned gym in a brand new facility located at 53 Ayer Road, Unit F in Littleton, Massachusetts, right off of Route 110. Getting stronger is one of the best things you can do, and it's easy to get started at Woodshed. Head on over to our website at woodshedstrength.com and schedule your free no-sweat intro. You'll meet with one of our professional coaches and talk about what you'd like to do and how we might help you. No sales pitch, no pressure, no sweat. Head on over to woodshedstrength.com to get started. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.